Welcome to Triumphant's Podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. Luke chapter 3, again, uh, reading verses 7 through 20. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 20. I don't know how to read here. Help me, Lord. It reads like this from the English Standard Version. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Verse 15 says that as the people were in expectation, and they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, to, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he, John the Baptist, preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John the Baptist for Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we do say thanks be to God. This morning from our text, I would like to title our sermon from this text, Keep in the Path. Keep in the path. Stony the road we trod. Bitter the chastening rod. Felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. We have come over a way that with tears have been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out of the gloomy past till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way. Thou who has by thy might led us into the light. 
Keep us forever in the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. And lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shout up beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God and true to our native land. This morning, as we come to the close of Black History Month, the month when we give special emphasis and attention to the causes, the contributions, and the accomplishments of blacks throughout our history. As it comes to a close, I thought it would be appropriate to begin our time together by reading some of the lyrics of our black national anthem. And if you don't know, I read the second and third verses. It's the verses that many of us stumble over and aren't able to recite from memory, and we start mumbling because we don't know it as well as the first verse. But those lyrics, particularly those lyrics in the second and third verse, they are so rich. And it would probably serve us well to better commit those verses to memory as well, because in these verses, it's as if James Weldon Johnson delivers some precautionary warnings to us. In verse 2, The question is raised. He says, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed? He says, we have come over a way, a way that has been watered with tears. We have come treading on a path through the blood of the slaughtered. See, in these lyrics, Johnson is doing us a favor, and he is helping us to remember and to keep before us that where we are as a people today, where we find ourselves presently, it has not come without its fair share of sacrifice, difficulty, and turmoil. And where we are, we may not be where we want to be. But where we are, we can say for certain that God has been good to us. God has provided for us. God has brought us to this place. And so James Weldon Johnson was capturing for us to remember that the paths and the trails that have been blazed for us, leading us to where we are today, they are littered with the blood, sweat, and tears of our forefathers. And so in the third verse, he cautions us. He cautions us by leading us in a prayer that we should pray. He leads us to pray and to plead with God. God who has brought us thus far on the way. God, by your might, you have led us into the light. God, would you keep us forever in this path? We pray. And I feel like we've come to a place in time in our history where we as a people, we need to and we must pick the chorus of that prayer back up. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee, and lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. See, I believe that we owe it to our forefathers and our foremothers not to stray from that path. We owe it to them. We owe it to the God 
who has brought us this far by faith. We owe it to them to stay on course. We owe it to them to stay on track. We owe it to them to stay on mission. We owe it to them to keep in this path, the path that they trailblazed for us. Because it is so easy to get off course. It's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to lose our way and to get off mission and to get off that path. But for the sake of those who have blazed the path for us, and those who will come after us, we must keep in the path. And this brings us to our passage this morning. Because this dilemma of keeping in the path, it, it is a similar dilemma that we see John the Baptist is met here within our passage this morning. Last week, we pointed out that John the Baptist was a self-confessed trailblazer. He knew his role. He knew that he was the one who was to trailblaze the path to prepare the way of the Lord. He was very clear about that. He was clear that his role was to make path straight for the one who was coming after him. And here in our passage this morning, although he is presented with an opportunity to get off track, John the Baptist stays in his lane. He stays on track and he stays on mission. He keeps in the path, the path that God's word had blazed for him. We saw last week that God's word had come to John the Baptist in the midst of a confusing, convoluted, and chaotic period in history. And that God's word had pierced through and broken through to John the Baptist even while he was way out in the wilderness. And God's word had blazed this path to prepare John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And so now as we pick back up on Luke's account of John the Baptist's ministry, we see crowds of people coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist. Verse number seven gives us the setting of our text this morning, of this scene this morning. Listen to what it says. It says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Here is the scene, is that John the Baptist started on the bottom, but now he was on the top. He had started out in the wilderness by himself with a small group of people who were just as crazy as he was. But now it says the crowds were coming out to be baptized by John. Not only that, but if you look at verse number 10, the crowds then begin to ask him questions. It is this idea of this growing crowd that is being attracted to the message of John the Baptist. Y'all, not only is he drawing a crowd, but he is drawing the people who everybody else said, nah, we don't want to be associated with you. He's drawing the tax collectors and the police or the soldiers of that time. He's drawing the outcasts, and he's drawing this big crowd. Y'all, he is even, we find out in verse number 19, that he is even finding himself in the company of political officials. He is obviously rubbing shoulders with Herod, the tetrarch of that region, the governor of that region. He is rubbing shoulders with the folks in charge. The crowd is growing. 
his fame and his popularity is growing, and it's growing so much to the point at verse number 15, it says that the people were in expectation, and they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John. They were saying, is John the Christ? Can you imagine the crossroads that John the Baptist is at at this point? John the Baptist finds himself out in the wilderness, and now his name is beginning to spread. His fame is beginning to spread, and this crowd is growing and is getting larger. And now he is met with this dilemma. Should I alter from this path that I was on? Should I, should I alter for expedience's sake? Should I alter for my own ego's sake? Should I alter for popularity's sake? But instead, John kept preaching the gospel. He didn't change his message. He didn't change his ways. He stayed in his lane, and he stuck with the truth. Verse number 18 is not a throwaway verse, y'all. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Here it is. All these people were coming out. He didn't change his message at all. He kept with preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What Luke is trying to show us here is that in spite of John's growing crowd and growing popularity and even being in the company of political official, John the Baptist continued to preach the good news. He stayed in his lane. Luke is showing us how even though things were beginning to look good for John the Baptist, he was, he was being invited to the palace, to the White House. John the Baptist, he kept in the path. What Luke seems to be doing here is he is highlighting for us how John the Baptist responds to this opportunity, to this moment, this dilemma to alter and to get off path and to get off mission. And what he's doing here is he's perhaps mapping out for us how we, the church today, but even the early church at that time, would be able to see how John the Baptist was able to keep in the path. How John the Baptist remains faithful to the assignment of God on his life. To encourage us to stay in the path as well. Can you imagine, all of a sudden, John the Baptist's influence is growing. Y'all, the crowd is getting larger. Folks are coming out to John the Baptist's church, and his church is growing. It's beginning to overflow. And y'all know how folks can get when we start to get a little bit of fame and notoriety. We start gaining popularity, and this starts getting to our head. It can start making us feel kind of good about ourselves. And in those moments when we start gaining popularity and fame, you know what we have the tendency to do? We have the tendency to begin playing to the crowd. And whether our aim is to become famous or not, the truth is, is that we all have the tendency to play to the crowd. See, we play to the crowd whether it's in order to gain popularity and influence or if it's in order to fit in with the crowd. But either way, we all tend to try to play to the crowd. 
And oftentimes when our influence and our popularity is gaining and rising, we become enamored with the crowd. Or we become enamored with fitting in with the crowd when it seems like we are not a part of the crowd. And so we ask, what can we do in order to fit in with the crowd? Because I know some folks saying, I don't want to be famous. But you know what we have the tendency to do is we still have the tendency to fit in and try to play to the crowd so we will fit in with the crowd. But I want us to notice what John the Baptist does when the crowd starts growing. John the Baptist, he keeps it 100 with them. He says to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Y'all, here's what he's saying. He's, he said to them, listen, where'd y'all snakes come from? <laughs> Who told y'all to come out here and to flee the wrath of God and to repent for your sins? John stays authentic and he addresses the crowd without mincing words. And even though some would have compromised their message because the crowd was growing and so that they could keep the crowd around them, John is like, nah, I'm not going to change my message to fit in with the crowd or to get the crowd to grow. I'm not going to compromise my convictions in order to cater to the crowd. And if there's any cautionary tale for us from this lesson here is for us to, for us to see what is highlighted in the ministry of John the Baptist and that we should be careful with compromising our convictions for the sake of catering to the crowd. We should be careful of compromising our convictions for the sake of catering to the crowd. See, there is a temptation to compromise and to concede for the sake of more opportunity for the sake of more exposure, for the sake of more popularity, for the sake of fame. There is even the temptation to compromise and to concede our convictions in order that we would fit in with the crowd, in order that we would be liked by our friends and liked by society. But we must stay authentic and committed to our convictions even when the crowd is growing and even when we know we want to try to fit in. We must stay Committed to our convictions. Y'all, it used to be for black folks, there would be some things we just did not do. But now it seems like any old thing we get with, stuff that we used to call sin, we don't call sin anymore. And here it is, is y'all, we cannot stray from the paths which our God led us to him. The path that our forefathers led for us in order for us to meet God. Y'all, we can't, we cannot concede and compromise on our convictions. We should know that the wrath of God is real. And it is fierce. That's why John the Baptist here, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See, we, we are the folks who know and believe that God is coming again. And when he comes, if you're not on the right side having placed faith in Jesus Christ, his wrath will come on you, and it will be like a consuming fire. That's what verse number 17 says, that he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Y'all, for 
as long as I can remember, the black church, we got real about hell. <laughs> we, used to, we used to preach hell all the time. And the point is not for us to scare you into heaven, but the point is for us to take serious the fact that God's wrath is coming on those who have not placed faith in Jesus Christ, have not acknowledged that they are sinners deserving the wrath of God. See, there's some things that we should just not be dabbling in. And what John the Baptist is challenging these folks with is that he's saying, listen, do not take lightly this idea of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Do not take lightly the good news, this message that God is offering forgiveness of sins if repentance of sins is given. That's good news. See, we think of hell and God's wrath as bad news, but the good news is, is that God has made provision for us so that we don't have to receive his wrath. By placing faith in Jesus Christ, John has said, listen, don't think that you could just come out here and be baptized in the water and say a little prayer and that everything will be all good. Don't think that just because your mama and your grandmama go to church and that they pray that that's going to get you into heaven. No, John the Baptist is saying you've got to be serious about this stuff because this is a serious matter. In fact, that's what he's getting at when he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He's saying, listen, don't think that you will get into heaven simply because of association. Simply because you were born in church and you were baptized at a young age and you said a prayer of confession, but did you really mean it? See, that's why he moves on to say that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. See, God wants to to see whether or not we have fruit in keeping with the repentance that we've asked for. Do our lives bear the fruit in keeping with repentance? See, John the Baptist wasn't concerned about attracting a crowd, but he was concerned about changed hearts. And the truth is, is that God is still calling men and women to repentance today. He is still calling us, Sister Kanisha, to have our sins washed away in the river of the Lord. And he's saying to us, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Be washed, be baptized, be born again. Because every tree that does not bear fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you hear John the Baptist encouraging them, telling them, take this matter seriously? I know y'all coming out here because it's all popular and everybody's telling y'all, John the Baptist has got a good church going on out there in the wilderness. But I want to let y'all know as y'all come out here, I'm not, I'm not enamored with the crowd. I am not going to compromise my message for the crowd. I am not going to compromise my convictions to fit in with the crowd. No, no, no. I want y'all to get it right. You got to repent of your sins and believe on God for forgiveness so that you will not be the tree that is cut down and thrown into the fire. But I got to move on. Because in the, what we see next is that the crowds begin to ask him, what then shall we do? And he says, he answered them of what they should do in order to show that they are keeping with repentance. What is the fruit 
that is keeping with repentance. He tells them that the fruit that is keeping with repentance is if you have a whole lot of clothes, you are to share with the one who doesn't have clothes. He says that the fruit that you need to show is that if you have a lot of food, then you are to give some food to those who do not have a lot of food. He says to the tax collectors, listen, you have been getting over on people taking more money than you're supposed to. Don't do it anymore, any longer. And he says to the soldiers, these soldiers were actually more like police at that time. He is saying, listen, stop extorting people. Stop getting over on people. Stop getting money from people in order to say that you won't arrest them and take them. Stop, stop being unjust in how you police. And listen, John the Baptist does not tell them to stop policing. He doesn't tell them to stop being a tax collector. He just says, be an honest tax collector. Be an honest policeman. Because now that you have been born again, your life should look like the repentance that you say you have made. I, I wish our evangelical brothers and sisters would, would, would come back to this passage. Because, because this is saying, yes, we ought to live holy lives. But in addition to living holy lives, we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he has said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Galatians 5 and 14, Paul tells us that the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the idea. If it isn't good for your neighbor... If it isn't good for your neighbor, it's not good. No, no, no. If it isn't good for me, it ain't good for my neighbor. If, if I were in their shoes, how would I want to be treated? See, see, see the, the message of the gospel, it comes to bear in our lives in the relationships that we have with one another. Even if I could go further to say the relationship that we have with the least of these. I was so encouraged a couple of months ago. Someone, a member of the church, texted me, and they, I don't know, they may have called me, I can't remember, but they told me that they felt prompted to take food to their neighbor. And they said, out of the blue, the Holy Spirit prompted. The Holy Spirit, you know, can prompt you to speak in tongues, and it can prompt you to be a blessing to somebody. See, sometimes we relegate the Holy Spirit just to speaking in tongues. Yeah, he can help us speak in tongues, but he can also help us be a blessing. He can also help us to love on somebody. He can also help us to be patient and kind. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. But, but this person, they said that they felt led by the Holy Spirit to bless their neighbor. They knocked on their neighbor's door. And the neighbor starts bawling in tears because he says that that person, that, that they didn't even know it, but his wife had been sick for months. And they had been eating McDonald's for months because he didn't have an opportunity to cook because he was taking care of her. And here was a fresh made home meal because the Holy Spirit had led that person to consider their neighbors. See, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. I love the fact that we can have convictions and have compassion. That's why I love the end campaign movement organization, because they promote that as Christians, we can have hardcore convictions, but we also should have compassion for our neighbors in the least of these. 
That's what we see being lifted in this text, that we would do things that are just in our world and for those who are least of these among us. But I got to move on because after we see the fact that John the Baptist does not compromise his convictions in order to cater to the crowd, we then see that the people in verse number 15, they come to John the Baptist and they're saying, John, are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting on? They're questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Y'all, you know what most of us would have done in that moment. Oh, folks, they coming, they coming out to see me. Y'all, we would love that spotlight. We would take all of that spotlight to stroke our own ego because we, we, we want everyone to look at us. But you see what John the Baptist does? He's like, nah, this ain't the John the Baptist show. This is the Jesus show. And as, pop as John the Baptist's popularity grows, he doesn't get caught up in stroking his own ego and being conceited. He doesn't forget who's the most important one. He doesn't get consumed with himself. But he continues to point people to Jesus. He does not get off path. He does not become selfish and consumed only with self-promotion. He promotes the one who he says is greater than he is. Y'all, I know we're familiar and used to hearing John the Baptist say that because we've read across this passage, but John the Baptist, what he says is so counter to what we do in our culture. When was the last time any of us gave shine to somebody else? When was the last time you were concerned about someone else getting the platform and getting the stage? Or are you only concerned about you getting the stage and you getting the platform? But John the Baptist is saying, listen, nah, there is somebody who is greater than me. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I. He says, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. It is literally him saying, listen, even if I were his slave, I wouldn't even be worthy to touch his feet. He is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, when we get to this part of the passage, I have to admit that this is a very controversial verse where it says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I know that we have a very eclectic church. We have folks who are Pentecostal, um, um, holiness backgrounds, they um, uh, apostolic backgrounds, um, on oneness only background. But we got folks who have Methodist backgrounds and Baptist backgrounds and Catholic backgrounds. And here's the thing is that what we're sure of, what we can be certain of here is that John the Baptist is trying to get us to understand that the ministry he was doing was inferior to the ministry that Jesus would spirit of God. And what I want us to caution us to do from doing is that, is that we, we oftentimes will demean people that have not had the experience that we've had and say that they are not holy, they are not saved. But there are some folks that I know who have never spoken a word of tongue, but they are more saved than the folks that I know that speak in most tongues. And so what is more important, and I want to say on the other side, that those who think that you don't need to speak in tongues, we are not just, not that you don't need to speak in tongues, but those who have not spoken in tongues do not need to demean the experience of those who have, who have experienced that. 
What we need to gather from this text is, is that John the Baptist is lifting up for us that Jesus was ushering in something greater than what John was doing. And that Jesus indeed has brought the Holy Spirit to live and abide within us. It is not cut and dry. None of the commentaries, all of the commentaries I read, they had different conclusions on this. And so anyone who says that they have the best conclusion on this, I'm sorry. I know that you're a scholar, but there are some other scholars who are just as deep as you that come to different conclusions. And so we should not relegate or demean anyone's experience. But we are should lift up. We are to lift up that what Jesus brings is greater than what John brought. And that we also need to be those who are pointing people to Jesus. It is not my show. It is not the Triumphant Baptist Church show. It is about the name that is above every name, not the name that is over the church doors. Because that name, Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I got to move on quickly. I hope I dealt with that touchy subject, touchy enough. But not only do we see that John the Baptist doesn't compromise his convictions and the fact that John the Baptist doesn't compromise in order for his ego, but we also need to see that John the Baptist does not compromise for political expediency. Or if I could make it even more plain, he doesn't compromise for comfort or convenience. John the Baptist continues to preach the gospel even in the face of opposition and potentially imprisonment. I hope y'all see it there in verses number 18, um, excuse me, 19 and 20. It says that Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by the Herodians, um, who, have, who had been reproved by, excuse me, Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John the Baptist for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, Herod locks John the Baptist up in prison because John the Baptist was preaching the truth. He preached truth to power. And what we need to tell our evangelical brothers and sisters is that if those who are in power are living lives that are not in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to call them out on it too. We do not need to compromise in order to have political expediency or because we want to be invited to a certain political house. We've got to be very careful that we do not give way in compromising the gospel for political expediency. Here it is. What happened is, real quickly, is that Herod, he went and he told his brother's wife, he told Herodias to leave his brother and to come marry him. And that meant that not only that she needed to get a divorce, but Herod was married and he needed to get a divorce. And here's what gets real tricky is that it is understood that Herodias was actually Herod's niece because the man that she was married to was his stepbrother. So it is just this complicated ancestral relationship. And John the Baptist called Herod out on that. He said that the way that you are living is foul and God calls it ugly. Oh, my goodness. If some of our evangelical brothers and sisters who had access to the president that just got of office would have said to that president, your morals are horrible. Your ethics are horrible. How you've been living, how you talk to people, how you treat women, how you talk about women, how you talk about people in other countries, it is horrible. 
But no, they conceded for political expediency. But for us, we need to know that we've got to preach the gospel full and free, even when it's not comfortable or convenient. Because there may become some persecution on the church, even the black church, because we hold to our convictions. And we've got to hold to those convictions, even if it means it lands us up in prison. Isn't that what our forefathers did? They believed some things about the gospel, and they, they went after those convictions, even if it landed them in prison. So we can't compromise for political expediency either. But as I close, way over time, I love the fact that John the Baptist, even though it seems as if he is trying to dwindle the crowd away, because he doesn't compromise his convictions, because he doesn't compromise for the sake of his ego, and because he doesn't compromise for political expediency, John the Baptist is able to be witness to and partake in Jesus' baptism. Y'all, right after it says here that John the Baptist was locked up in prison, he is just, Luke is concluding John the Baptist's ministry. But John the Baptist, we, under, we know he actually baptized Jesus. And that's what we see in verses 21 through 22. It says that when all the people were baptized, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. And John the Baptist was there when the heavens opened up. He was there when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form, like a dove. John the Baptist was there when a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I can only imagine what John the Baptist must have felt when he saw the Holy Spirit coming to rest on Jesus, knowing that had he gotten off path, and he had, he had compromised his convictions, he would not have been able to see what he saw. Had he gotten off path, and instead of pointing people to Jesus, he had stroked his own ego. Had he gotten off path and, and compromised his convictions in order for political expediency, would he have witnessed Jesus coming out of the water and the Holy Spirit coming down on him and God the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, with I, you I am well pleased. Oh. What a beautiful thing that John the Baptist was able to see, even if he would later get in prison. See, if we stay on track and we keep in the path, at the end of all of it, it'll be worth it all, y'all. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, <laughs> we will know that being committed to our convictions not being committed to our ego and not compromising to stroke our own egos and not compromising for political expediency or comfort or convenience. When we see Jesus, we will all say it would be worth it all. If when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior is come, be not dismayed when men don't believe you because God will understand and he'll say, well done. And so when I come to the end of my journey, weary of life and the battle is won, carrying the staff and the cross of redemption, God will understand and say, well done. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org 
or you can contact us at 301-559-2200.